1: Welcome to hour number two, Bruce Hooley Show. Glad to have you along and uh, glad always to be joined uh, by U.S. Senate candidate Bernie Moreno. A gentleman I got to know when he was running for Senate in 2020, and he kind of took one for the team there so that uh, the vote would not be diluted and J.D. Vance would have a better chance of winning. And now we have a freshman senator from the state of Ohio and J.D. Vance, and uh, I would be very happy if we have another one. Come 2025, Bernie Moreno is running against Frank LaRose and Matt Dolan. Bernie, it's always great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for uh, joining us.
2: Thank you for having me, Bruce. Always great to be on.
1: So tomorrow, the Republican presidential debate, and it's in Milwaukee, and I'm sure you could go if you wanted to go. Um, Are you going or are you uh, by chance going to join us at our debate watch party at the Lazy Chameleon on Sawmill Road?
2: Well, I'm going to stop by and uh, visit with you, uh, spend a little time there, and then head over to uh, another uh, event I was invited to. So we're going to do party hopping of uh, White Debate Watch.
1: Well, fantastic. Uh, now, Bernie, tell me, uh, do you, what do you think of President Trump's decision to skip the debates?
2: Well, I mean, at the end of the day, he's really far up in the polls, and there's some people in that uh, stage that are really polling at uh, very, very low numbers. So why give those people a platform? You know, the difference between us, of course, on the Republican side and the Democrats is I'm eagerly anticipating the Robert Kennedy, Joe Biden debate. That <laughs> will be quite something. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we both know that's not going to happen. And uh, as I just said before you came on the air in my previous segment, my fear with Trump not debating is that he gives Joe Biden um, Another thing he can say to avoid a debate with Donald Trump, I don't think we're going to have presidential debates if the candidates are Trump and Biden. I think Biden will say, look, I'm not going to debate somebody who's under indictment. Uh, But if Trump doesn't debate at all on the Republican side, I think Biden can also say, well, look, you didn't debate your field of candidates. So why should I debate you?
2: Yeah, except that he's going to be that'll ring hollow, given that he's not willing to debate Robert Kennedy, who objectively is actually pretty close to him in the polls. I mean, in some polls, he's within, you know, uh, less than uh, low single digit low uh, double digits, like 10 or 15 points away, which is pretty remarkable for a sitting uh, Democrat president.
1: Bernie Moreno, our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at Bernie Moreno. He's running for the Republican nomination for Senate in 2024. Uh, Frank LaRose, Matt Dolan, the announced candidates. Uh, How do you feel like your campaign is going? What's your strategy to get your name out there uh, more than you did in 2020? I thought that uh, campaign was one where you captured the attention of a lot of people, including the audience that we had uh, over in Westerville for that event. Uh, So what's the plan from here on out? And how do you feel like you're engaging with Ohioans?
2: Yeah, you know, the same plan as before, uh, except uh, even more. Uh, you know, I have sold all of my operating businesses. This is what I focus on 24-7. So I'm traveling, I think, 34,000 miles now in the last four months of, uh, all over Ohio, every corner of Ohio. We've got 200 grassroots endorsements from city council members to grassroots activists, commissioners. Uh, we've got great national endorsements. We're raising a ton of money. We've hit an all-time fundraising record in Ohio. So, as you know, Bruce, when you sit in front of somebody, they hear your pitch and they write you a check, whether it's for $500 or $50, -hmm. it means that you really uh, got somebody who's really buying into your message. And we've been able to do that at a rate that's eight times what our other primary opponent was able to do at the same time period. So I think we feel really good about it. We're going to work really, really, really hard. Obviously, having J.D. Vance's support was critical and uh, along with many others like Charlie Kirk and Marco Rubio. So we're feeling really good about the campaign. I will always uh, run like I'm in seventh place, though, in the three-man race.
1: Bernie Moreno is our guest, and his website is BernieMoreno.com, where you bill yourself conservative, outsider, entrepreneur, fighting for Ohio. You mentioned J.D. Vance's endorsement, and obviously he's busy being a senator, which you hope to be at some point as well. Have you had conversations with J.D. about there's always a— a vision of what the job is like, and then you actually get the job and you have to do the job and you find out then and only then what it's really like. What have you learned from him? If you've had conversations about this in terms of what is possible for a Senator to do. And I'm quite sure that you believe that your democratic rival in 2024, if you win the nomination, Sherrod Brown is not doing that stuff and has not been doing that stuff for a long time.
2: Well, the, the big lesson from JD and he and I talk about this all the time is that when you're an outsider to the political system, when you haven't lived your entire life as a political insider elected official, you can bring fresh eyes and new thinking to DC, which is what's so desperately needed. So JD has been able to get a lot accomplished. He's already done more honestly in seven months than what Sherrod Brown has done in 30 years in DC, the rail safety act. He's uh uh, halting all the promotions in the Justice Department until they stop weaponizing uh, that system, uh, working to uh, hold bank CEOs accountable who rip off uh, their their uh, stock uh, shareholders and and their employees. So there's a lot of things that J.D. has been able to do in a very short period of time. And that's why, Bruce, we need more outsiders. If we keep sending these career politicians that only think about their next job, next election, we're never going to change D.C.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. You know, we've had conversations about what government was supposed to look like when our founders put it together. Uh, They were uh, citizen representatives. You go, you serve, you serve for a certain period of time, you leave, you go back to your life, and we don't have that now. I mean, when you look around, uh, it's not just a Democratic problem with uh, obviously the president, Joe Biden, who's in his 80s, Dianne Feinstein, uh, you look on the Republican side, Mitch McConnell's been there forever. Uh, so I, I see it all throughout the political system, and I think the American voter is crying out. And Sherrod Brown is one of those people. I mean, he's 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 70 years old, I think, and he's still campaigning for money so he can go back and be a senator until he's, what, he'd be 78. That's ridiculous.
2: Yeah, and he, what has he done? So you you typically, in the private sector— when you uh, look for a promotion or somebody renew your contract they go back and say well let's look at your track record but everything that joe Biden that, that joe biden and sherrod brown have touched in the last three years has been terrible he hasn't uh, sherrod brown hasn't done anything of substance in the last 30 years to help american workers you know look at the cost of housing today cost of fuel cost of groceries interest rates debt, uh what we're leaving for our kids and grandkids all that is the result of Sherrod Brown's votes and Sherrod Brown's policies. He can say he tried to halt the gutting of our middle class in Ohio, but at the end of the day he failed. So if you if you're there to send somebody to actually get things done and your excuse is, well I tried, it doesn't cut it in any other place other than politics. And what's what's a good contrast in this election, Bruce, is that my two side are career politicians, career insiders just like Sherrod Brown. So if you think a career politician is what's going to fix D.C., you've got two choices in the primary. You want an outsider, somebody with fresh eyes, fresh thinking, that knows what it takes to build and create businesses and how to grow our economy, then you have a choice in me.
1: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in that. That is the stark contrast between you and your competition so far, Frank LaRose, Secretary of State, Matt Dolan. State Senator uh, Matt was a co-sponsor of the Equality Act in the state of Ohio, which I find not to be a conservative position. And I have dinged him publicly for going to the southern border uh, while he was in o- he's in the Ohio Senate. I have no objection to going to the border. I know you've been there, but it's a little different for you to go there to get your eyes on it when you're not serving in elected office where you have things to do for the state of Ohio. That trip by Dolan did not make any sense to me.
2: No, well, and think about, you know, Frank LaRose as well. I mean, where in the world can you or any of your listeners have a full-time job that you're getting paid to do by the taxpayer and then go out and do another full-time job to advance your personal career, especially in the case of LaRose who just got elected to a four-year term? It only happens in politics because if we have to stop putting up with that kind of bad behavior, we should tell our elected officials, do your job. We pay you to do a full-time job. Do your full-time job. The other year, still getting paid is crazy. If they want to run for a different office, they should resign for that office.
1: Yeah, we're losing you on your cell. And I wanted to end with this. I hope it holds up so you can uh, you can address this. A lot of people know that your son-in-law is Max Miller, who uh, was in the news for his uh, tweet and then his retracted tweet, his apology to Lizzie Marbach, who's no longer with Ohio Right to Life. Uh, you're going to be in, in situations like this where things you say become public. I just wonder if you and, and Max have had any conversations about how you'd counsel him as he uh, comes through that experience.
2: Well, I mean, uh, there's not a lot of people who love advice from their father-in-law, <laughs> uh, but I'm very happy that uh, he apologized. Uh, my faith teaches me that uh, we are about redemption. I think he understood uh, that he, that was uh, that's something that he's apologized for it. He understands it, and the reality is it also shows that to a large extent what happens on Twitter isn't real life. Uh, obviously, shouldn't have uh, put that out there, but again, he's apologizing. We should be uh, accepting that apology and moving on.
1: Yeah, I think that's well said. I appreciate you coming on as always. I look forward to seeing you tomorrow night. Thanks so much for uh, favoring us with your presence. Uh, my best to Bridget, and uh, we will see you at the Lazy Chameleon on Wednesday night.
2: Sounds good, Bruce. Thank you. Thank,
1: Thank you for having me on. You bet. Bernie Moreno. Again, follow him on Twitter, at Bernie Moreno. His campaign website, BernieMoreno.com. So I appreciate Bernie Moreno coming on the show. Uh, you guys know, I would think from listening to my show, that I am a fan of his. Uh, I love the idea of someone who came here as an immigrant became a citizen legally, started a business. And I used to do, Bernie doesn't, I don't think Bernie knows this. I used to do radio remotes at the car dealership adjacent to Bernie's Mercedes dealership, which he doesn't have anymore. But he built Mercedes of, um, I think it was North Olmsted, into a monster dealership. Best in Ohio, maybe the best in the nation. He's a great businessman. Then he went into other endeavors. I like the idea of smart people going to Washington to serve, even though they don't necessarily quote unquote want to, but their want to do so comes from their calling to do so. They feel like they have something to bring to the table. They feel like things are going horribly South in the way things are being done in Washington or at the state house or on a local level on a township trustee board or a school board or a, or a central committee or whatever, however you serve, um, if it's a calling, if it's not a stepping stone to something else, Sherrod Brown came through the newsroom of the Bell Fountain Examiner when I was a college student working in the summertime, and he was a hotshot young, you know, damn youngest guy in the Ohio State House. He's never left public office since. Like this guy's on the public dole for decades. He's seventy. He's got two more years to be a senator. And he's begging for money on Twitter so he can continue his grift until he's 78. Give me a break. Disgusting. I also appreciate that Bernie's a straight up guy. And he probably honestly would have preferred I not ask him about his son-in-law, Max Miller. But look, uh, I have to be true to you. And it was a fair question. Unpleasant questions sometimes are fair questions. And he answered it openly and honestly, which I knew he would because he's that kind of guy. But Max Miller, the congressman from the state of Ohio, Northeast Ohio, went after on Twitter Lizzie Marbach, the former communications director of Ohio Right to Life. So it's interesting today, Ohio Right to Life comes out with a statement from their board on the departure of Lizzie Marbach, the firing of Lizzie Marbach. Now, I've offered Lizzie a spot on the show. She has not accepted that, but she was on the Jenna Ellis podcast. This whole thing, to me, is a regrettable incident because it certainly creates the impression that there is dissension in the ranks at Ohio Right to Life. When you fire someone for being too bold in their faith and with their desire to end abortion and calling abortion exactly what it is, murder, when you fire somebody because they're not politically correct enough? I understand why Ohio Right to Life would want their communications director to be more diplomatic. What I would say to them is, then you need to be more careful who you hire and vet them before they come in as to whether they have the diplomacy to do the job the way you want them to do it. I have, and I want to make this crystal clear, zero problem with Lizzie Marbach being... A firebrand for life, because I would certainly like to think that I endeavor to be a firebrand for life. Abortion is murder. Abortion is evil. It is not health care. It is not a woman's right to choose. It is not something that should be endorsed by any pastor who is anything but a heretic who are leading people, including themselves, straight to eternal misery. So here's Lizzie Marbach on the Jenna Ellis podcast talking about how she fell out of favor at Ohio Right to Life.
3: Organization, I made it very clear that I am a bold conservative, right? I'm, I'm not somebody who wants to toe the line. I'm not someone who wants to be muzzled. And especially on this issue specifically of abortion, I think that the only way to advocate for it is in a bold message. Uh, and I told them that when I got hired, they were very much aware of my messaging strategy as communications director. Um, and they said that that would be more than welcome at the organization. Spoiler alert, it was not welcome. <laughs> um, and so uh, the more that I would post things, whether on my social media, my, my personal social media accounts or on a highway to Life's, um, in a bold manner, they would come to me and ask me to tone things down, say that I'm being too harsh. Um, if I would post things like abortion is murder, they would ask me to say, can you just say that abortion is killing instead of abortion is murder or things along that line where they they didn't want me to be as upfront and, quote, divisive um, as I had been being in my communications? And so it, a back and forth really just began to take place um, for months where, you know, I was just really pushing back against the soft tone, milk toast messaging that they wanted me to do.
1: OK, this is going to be a problem that Ohio Right to Life is going to have to try to fix with, and they have many, ardent supporters who believe every single thing Lizzie Marbach just said and share her passion for this issue. Ohio Right to Life is attempting to do that with a statement that they released today saying that they affirmed in a unanimous vote the following Christian statement of faith, which Lizzie originally tweeted. They affirm that it is worthy of being advanced by all Christians. See, even that's milk toast. And her tweet was, there is no hope for any of us outside of having faith in Jesus Christ alone. Now, let me say that's also, this is a difficulty that all organizations have. Breast cancer organizations, research organizations have this. Abortion organizations have this. When you have people who share faiths that have some things in common, but not everything in common. For instance, Uh, I could get into a long, (laughs) probably, argument with Catholics about the uh, necessity of works or the the stance of works. Not going to do it unless I have to, and then I will. Likewise, Jews and Christians worship the same God, but we believe that God, Christians believe that God is in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jews do not believe in the Son. They do not believe Jesus was the Son of God. But there are a lot of Jews who are anti-abortion. So you have to find a way as an organization to thread the needle to keep your Jewish supporters of your cause and the Christian supporters of your cause together, not fighting, not bickering, not arguing. That is what went awry with the Lizzie Marbach tweet and the Max Miller tweet saying that it was bigoted. Max is a Jew. he's, he's certainly right to, uh, He certainly has the right to believe that. But this all blows up into a very public thing, which did not have to blow up into a very public thing. And I will explain what I mean and its consequences for the abortion amendment next.